Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It is just so fabulous to be with all of you this beautiful morning. Uh, welcome to the folks who are in room 2425, and thank you for being here. Welcome to our friends who are on live stream. Thank you for being with us from your homes. So let me just frame this class. Um, we have been in the land of the high holidays, the Yamim Noraim, these days of awe, these days of holiness. And this is the first Shabbat where we pivot to ordinary time, ordinary days. And we're about to usher in a month, Cheshvan, that is famous for having no holidays, all ordinary days. And the question, the question before us is, how do we make the most of our ordinary days so that they are as impactful as we want them to be? Because actually life is not lived with the spectacular, rare, big days. Life is mostly about the ordinary days. How do we make our ordinary days extraordinary in the ways that we want them to be extraordinary? So let's thank God for the gift of learning Torah together on page 63. <laughs> So before just jumping to the beating heart of this class, which is Rents, uh, which is the song without you, uh, I should do a little bit of Torah, uh, just frame it. Um, and then the Torah that I want to bring to you is really a question for all of you to think about and also for us. And oh my God, Lynn Heller, welcome back. Our dear friend Lynn Heller is back, and Lynn, welcome back. Um, the question I want to ask everyone to consider is what use do you make of the genealogies? Because we're beginning Bereshit, and there is just this genre of text that is a little bit like rum, raisin, ice cream. It's just an acquired taste. Uh, like, what is it doing here? You know, like rum, raisin, ice cream is not for everybody. And there's a lot of, you know, when Seth had lived 105 years, he begot Enosh. And after the birth of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Seth came to 912 years, then he died. There's a lot of that. A lot of the begettings and a lot of the begettings and a lot of the begottings and a lot of lived these days and those days and died after this many years. And these are characters that for the most part, not slash for the most part, you don't see before, you know nothing about, and you never see them again. And there's a lot of genealogy, especially in Genesis, not only in Genesis, but a lot in Genesis. There's a lot of, of, of genealogy. And, and it begins here, um, uh, you know, like what, what are you supposed to do if, if you grow up in a culture where every word is holy? What do you do with when Kenan had lived 70 years, he begot Mahalel. After the birth of Mahalel, Kenan lived 840 years and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Kenan came to 910 years, then he died. And you know nothing about Kenan. You know nothing about Mahalel. This is the only reference, and there's just so much of that. So before we even get to the beating heart of rents, um, I wanted to just ask you guys, what do you do emotionally, spiritually, psychically, as clergy, as Jews, as humans, 
with dry as dust genealogy. I, Dan I have an answer, and which, which are, you've already given it, which is that, you know, Breshit Genesis is all about the creation of human, uh, the center of it is the creation of humankind. And your message about how do we take the mundane and make it holy, I think that the, the answer is that what God is trying to tell us here is that the mundane is holy. That, you know, people are born, people die, people are born, people die. That is 99.999% of, of the human race. And it's also 99.999% of our lives, of the way that we experience our lives. And it's only that very small percentage of our lives that we actually um, enter into moments of, um, of either great sadness or great joy. And I think that that's kind of what the Torah is giving us here. Yeah, I want to... Um Looks like every every class we have here are giving you compliments. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so a few I don't remember when, but I remember you many times doing a class or bringing out sermons about one of the songs in Hamilton, yeah. "Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells the Story," something right. like that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the fact that nobody tells the story that doesn't mean to me that you didn't have an impact in your life, because. There are so so many people that make an impact on us, and not necessarily they are in the books. And uh, so, to me, this mm, what Janice is talking about. So I think also about like just the truth of of history, which is like if you want to study your family, I've talked about this before. Like often, you can go back in time, and there's like a few generations that you know stories of people, and there are many that you don't. And there, you, you could read that, that we just never will know those people. That, you know, you can know when they, when they were born and you can know when they died. And you might be able to find, like, you know, a, a census record or something. But that's all you'll be able to know. And that's a tragedy. For your great-great-grandfather. For your, yeah, for your great-great-grandfather. I mean, or, or these characters in the, in, the, in the Torah, right? That, that, that it's just gone to history and that they didn't do enough to, to be remembered. Or I think there's also this, this truth, which is that, just by knowing someone's name, just by knowing that they existed, you can download some of their essence. Not in a, in a conscious way that you could tell anybody about it. Not in a way that you would have a story to say and be like, oh my gosh, they always loved carrot cake. But in a way that just knowing their names gives us access to their Torah. And, and it's, not a, it's not a conscious thing, but it, that doesn't mean it's any less important. Welcome back, Elisa. It's been <laughs> wonderful to have you. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I find that, you know, of course, when I was younger, the genealogies make your eyes glaze over and you think, like, when do we get to the good stuff? Um, but as I've dealt with them over the years, one of the core teachings, I think, of our people, and we, we say it, actually, without even thinking about it, you know, when you think about your children or your grandchildren, you say you're a link in the chain, right? Or I'm just a link in the chain, looking backwards. And I think the genealogy actually set up mm. that template for us as a Jewish people, that we're all linked in a chain. Mm. So, yes to everything you all said. I, to me, the genealogy has a very spiritual message, which is um, living and dying is, is, is a given. We're all here, thank God, and we'll all pass, right? And then the question is, what do we do beyond mere biology? What do we do beyond mere eating, drinking, sleeping, um, you know, and and physically subsisting? That what what's this? What's our spiritual game? And to me, the genealogy is always counterpoised against the spiritual game. So you have here 
a bunch of names of people who were born and they died and they were born and they died and they lived so many years. And the question that, that, that challenges us with is, how do we do more than that? Whatever years we get, how do we do more than that? How do we fill the years that we get with great, great meaning? Um, so that, um, so that um, we have a deep impact on people. You have no idea of the impact uh, that any of these people had on anybody. You know, Messi Sala that I, I mentioned in the, in the teaser lives the longest of any biblical character, and you literally know nothing about the impact that he had. So what I wanted to do um, is invite you to think about the season of ordinary days uh, through the lens of without you. So without you is is songs in rent, and it, and here's the question: What could you do to inspire somebody to sing that song about you? And who would sing that song about you? If you were to pass tomorrow, who would sing this song about you? And why would they sing it? So with that. Uh, because this is, we're more than biology. Okay? We're more than genealogy. This is about impact. This is about ordinary days that have become extraordinary. So our dear friend Andrew Hanold, if you can start the video. Okay. And I'm going to just close the door. When I'm singing songs from Rent, I'm, I'm trying to connect with Jonathan and thank him for changing my life. Jonathan Larson changed my life. Day 
of the class, we're just going to listen to that another seven times. Um, so colleagues, uh, I guess if, here's a specific granular question. Um, not only what did you think of the song and what is the message of the song, but I'm particularly interested from you in hearing how the, how the musicality of the song, how the song of the song reinforces the message of the song. What is the message of the song and how does the musicality uh, reinforce that message? I'm going to try. Um, it does, it does have sort of a, mel you know, something key that gives it a, 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 a little bit of a melancholy feel to it, um, obviously. Um, I, I, I'm, I believe the message is that, um, that everybody has an impact, and you can have an impact just on one person. Um, and sometimes, uh, I often have this, I often don't sleep at night thinking, have I had an impact on anybody's life in a positive way? Uh, that, that, that's true. And... Um, and there are many times that I say, you know what? If I die tomorrow, I don't think I don't think that's made a difference. And um, so, I, I, it's something that I that I worry about. Uh, and it's also something that I think that that in some ways is is not true, because oftentimes people will have an impact on that they have no idea about. Um, like just the other day, I was out shopping and I ran into a congregant who said, you know, my kids still talk about you, uh, which by Sisson for keeping their B'nai Mitzvah, and that was like, the kids are 35 and, you know, 34. So why do you think you didn't make an impact? That's if this, if that's these people are going to talk for the rest of their lives about you, yeah. why I, do you think I'm, you didn't I'm make an impact? That, I'm hoping that, that if I have an impact on people, it's a positive impact. Okay. People, people can talk about you, but it may not be a positive impact. I, I don't know. I just well, I disagree with you. I oh. think that you made an impact. And how many times you've been here morning and night for people to be able to say Kaddish. So you should be proud of yourself. Can I say something regarding the music? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, uh, jokingly, I said to Alisa before the song started, because we heard the song before, 
that the guitar player has such a hard work. I mean, he's okay. mostly playing the same chords over and over. So yeah. Could the you song that? doesn't. What is that? Right, that's so pronounced. Like it's what's called the chord. I know, but but what's the role of the limited chord? I don't know. We we have, we have to ask the composer who was brilliant, but no longer is with us. I think that. The, the, the main point of the song is the lyrics and the interpretation of the lyrics. And uh, it's interesting when, when he's, he's, I was paying attention to his vocal interpretation when there was a part about the, the ocean's crash and stuff right. like that. He, he went louder there. Um, it's more about the interpretation musically than, than, the, than the, the song itself. Okay. And uh, to me, the song, in a way, it's, it's probably a little funny what I'm going to say. It's kind of optimistic because the, the, the Few lines are only saying I die or I, I no longer can go, but most of the other times it's like life goes on. I just want to jump in one second to answer your question about what I think the chords that the guitarist yeah. is doing. Um, that continuous beat, that's just, it's just, it's time. It's just time moving on. Mm. It's just time moving on. See, that's so interesting. To me, I was, I was laughing with Elias because I was like, yeah, it's, it, it really, that poor guitar player, he's, he can do so much better. <laughs> He's just stuck there. I can play that. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, oh, man, so boring. Um, but even the vocalist, when you listen to the vocal line, it's also extremely repetitive. It's not, it's not a melody that grows. It's not a melody that's about movement or, or, you know, reaching a crescendo. It's just, like, the same, like, alternating. It's very pitter-patter and up and down. And um, for me, I just kept thinking about the, the contradiction in the music and the text. That the music is like, I've lost you. Something has fundamentally changed. My life can't go on without you. But the music is exactly the same the entire way through. And so there's a sense of like, yes, you've lost this person, but they're still here, right? Like, everything's the same. And even the lyrics, if you look at the lyrics, it's the whole world keeps going on. There's, there's something profoundly missing. There's something, a, a profound loss at the core of it, but there's also a constancy. And to me, that's just a, a really interesting keeping. Uh, Elise and Elias, I wanted to just build on both your comments, ask you a question about the musical interpretation. Um, when Leslie Odom Jr. sings it, it's like the most beautiful voice. Um, he is a lot of same, a lot of same, a lot of same. And then at the very end, life goes on, but I'm gone. Because I die without you. And with die, it's a lot of energy around die. What's the meaning of that interpretation, the way he sings that last stanza? <laughs> um, so he has a lot of interesting vocal tendencies. He often, at the end of phrases, doesn't sing all the way to the end. He lets the sound sort of die already. And it's so interesting that he, he doesn't put energy into the ends of phrases, but he does put energy into death. Um, and, and to me, again, it feels like this whole song is a, is a walking contradiction. He doesn't die. He actually comes to life. He actually comes out. He actually sings out. At this loss, it brings some part of him out. Um, but his experience is the opposite. Mm. Michelle. Thank you, Les, for starting out our day this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's just some light touch here. Um, I, I actually feel, I mean, feel a lot of feelings with this, with the song and also the contrast that you asked us to make with Methuselah and, and the genealogies. And you know, there's just really a, a core human truth that he's, giving, that he's giving voice to and, in fact, his own life testifies 
to it. Down to larceny. Yep, yeah, exactly, which is that, you know, each of us are here and each of us has but a brief moment to have any kind of impact that, that we're, we're going to have and the world will go on right. without us and our loved ones even will go on without us. We who have lost people we have loved go on. We wake up every day. We look in the mirror. We are able to continue to put our shoes on and, and walk in the world. And yet, there is something that every person, and you and I had a conversation before this class because you had set up the question of, well, can we be somebody who really makes a, a huge impact? And you're not just lost in the genealogy. And I think I'm much more aware, Eliza was, that I think the point of this song is that every single one of us actually does make that impact for somebody, and it may not be something you can control. And I think, Dan, you just touched my heart so so deeply. It, it, it may not be something we can control. It may not be something we even know about. But, there, but the impact of our lives is so deep and so rich, even if you're not the main character. Even if you're just part of that genealogy, and the Midrash speaks to that with Methuselah, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Midrash speaks to that with Methuselah. It says, Methuselah was an amazing grandfather. He got something really important about Noah, that Noah needed to be a light for the world, and he preserved Noah's light in this world. Are you saying that because daughter is named Noah? <laughs> well, but right, so, all of us have someone who we are preserving yeah. their life. So I, I want to pivot this uh, from the song to Rabbi Kushner's teaching uh, the following way. I think that um, this song is the ultimate Yisker sermon. I, you know, I, I've been trying to think about what is the perfect Yisker sermon. What's the perfect Yisker sermon? And Leslie Odom Jr. singing Down to Larson song just gave us the perfect Yisker sermon. What's the perfect Yisker sermon? The perfect Yisker sermon has two points. Number one, life goes on, which is what you would want. You wouldn't want the result to be your loved one died, so you give up on life. Your loved one died, so you're, you're done. You're toast. That, so, so part one of the Yisker sermon is life goes on without you. Right? Everybody, by the way, gets lost in the genealogy because life goes on without us. Point two of the perfect Yisker sermon is I die without you. I'm not the same because you're not here, right? Life goes on, right? The poets still dream and the stars still gleam and the boys still run and the girls still dance and all that good stuff. It happens. It goes on without you. Without you. But I, and I go on without I'm, I'm going on. I'm here. I'm going on. I didn't give up. I got out of bed. I'm going on. But I'm profoundly different without you. So that, that, that's the, to me, that's the contradiction, that life goes on, but I'm gone. Life goes on, but I'm different because you're not here. So the question that I want to ask is, how, you know, at the, at the beginning, before the song, uh, Leslie Irwin Jr. says, John, I'm singing this for Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson changed my life. And my question for you is who will sing this song for you and why will they sing it? Who will, who will sing this song for you and what's going to inspire them to sing this song with so much conviction? Who's going to say, you know, life goes on and I'm still doing my emails and I'm still doing my work and I'm still paying my bills and I'm still and I'm still and I am gone without you. Who's going to say that? 
And what do you need to do to earn that? So that's the pivot to, to Harold Kushner's book. So I want to just read this um, very short reading. Um, it's from When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough, which is Harold Kushner's treatment of Kohelet. And I want to ask you, kind of as we read this, two questions. One, what do you think about his list? I think he's asking our question. And what's not on his list that you would put on your list in terms of being able to earn this song? So there is no way, there is no way to prevent dying. But the cure for the fear of death is to make sure that you have lived. In the previous chapter, we saw Ecclesiastes come to the same conclusion that Senator Tsongas did. A life of meaning is achieved not by a few great immortal deeds, but by a lot of little ones. The challenge is not to rise above the level of everyday life by some superhuman effort. The challenge is to find something truly human to do every day of our life. When you realize that you do not have time for everything, when you find out that trying to cram everything into a 24-hour day leaves you tired, leaves the things you do incomplete and half-baked, and leaves the people you share life with feeling that you never stop moving long enough for them to get to know you, what are the non-negotiable elements of your life? What are the things you absolutely must have and do so that you can feel that you have lived your life and not wasted it? In our exploration of Kohelet and of our own lives, we have identified three things. Belong to people. Accept pain as part of your life. Know that you have made a difference. So, colleagues, what do you think of the list? And what's not on the list that's in your core that has to be on the list if you want somebody to sing that song for you? The first thing that comes to mind when I read this is, um, wow, it's so interesting that he wrote this being a rabbi. And we talk among ourselves how many times we have to sacrifice time to be with our own families in order to be at a wedding or a funeral or different things. And we struggle, all of us, many times thinking well, we should be more spending more time with our kids or this and that. and, and uh, it's, it's fascinating when he wrote that because I don't know how much in his life was he able to dedicate. Right. Early. I don't know. I'm asking. You know, I'm asking. Yeah. But Elias, that, that challenge doesn't belong only to clergy. That challenge belongs to every working person, every working person. I only know clergy people. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, so Elisa, what do you think of the list and what's not on the list? The interesting thing for me about the song Without You is it has nothing about the person that's being missed. And... Like, there's something in this, like, belong to people, accept pain as part of your life, know that you've made a difference. But I feel like there's also something about, like, being your authentic self, sharing your authentic self, being being known for who you are and sharing that message. And I think it's, it's beautiful in the way that the song, like, the person clearly belonged to somebody. But, like, there's, I have, I have a hope of being known. I have a hope of, of, of not just being loved as a like as as the role I play, but but for who I am, and I think you know if I were thinking about a song I would want sung, I I would want I I want I hope that there's like a story about me that's more than just like I miss her. Yeah, can I say something very quickly? I don't want to ruin your class, but you send me a clip of this video because you you make people know that you like this song, and. Um, I was considering to sing it for Iskor this year, and I didn't want to sing it first because I didn't find it 
sorry to say this, although there was you know, a lot of variety musically speaking, but second, because I disagree with your message that the person says that he's carry on. He doesn't say anywhere that he's carrying on with the life. He's saying that I die without you. That's it, that life goes on, but not me. So I didn't feel that message of, you know, that you said when we died, we don't want our relatives to not be able to carry on. Yeah, and I just and then I want to hear from Michelle and Dan. I, I think he means that metaphorically and not literally. And, and certainly the way Leslie Odom sings it, um, it's it, he means that metaphorically and not literally. Um, uh, Michelle and Dan. Poker face, Michelle. Well, I, th I, think, I think really the, the, the best part of, um, of this reading is the um, where he says that the challenge is to 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 make small to do small deeds every day, um, and that and that by doing that, that's how we make an impact on on others. Mm. Um, I mean, in this reading, there's not a lot of talk about about others. I think that's one of the thing that's that's I mean, I think it's implicit but not not specific, um, but. Uh, but here, I think he's just saying that the challenge is that um, that our lives really matter when we do even small things for other people. Mm. About can I just also add, and Michelle, I want to pivot to you with this question. Um, the second prong is very interesting to me. Accept pain as part of your life. Could you speak to that, Michelle? <laughs> sure, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, actually, that was the one who, that had gotten my attention, too, because I think that one's probably the hardest of all of the asks um, for us. It's the hardest of um, the moment. You know, if you look at the rest of Rent, right, it, that, I, I disagree with you that he is moving, that, that this is meant to convey moving on. This is meant to convey the devastation, the absolute, complete devastation of the loss of life, um, and particularly the loss of young life here um, within the context of the of that entire um, experience. Um, but yeah, all of us have to accept that that pain that and even that kind of pain is part of of, of a life that's worth living. Um, to me, it's interesting. You know, not not to take you back to admit this one here, but um, <clears throat> but I actually think accepting that pain is is part of the whole story of the genealogy and of Methuselah because there is in some way a pain that all of us have in our lives that we know that ultimately we're going to be part of somebody's genealogy that ultimately they're going to know about us. You know, they lived such and such years. Right, right. That's that's what they know, and and we have to somehow live with the possibility that, that that may be what comes of, of our lives. Um, and yet our lives, you asked one thing that was missing. And I think that one thing that's missing here is um, perhaps it's a little captured and belong to people, but not entirely, is invest in someone, is make someone else better because you have been here. And I think that actually that is the, the payoff for accepting our pain. That's the payoff for being part of that genealogy, and that's the payoff of Methuselah's life. You know, his life is not, the, the pinnacle of his life is not about him. It's about Noah. Yeah. 
So I was, thank you, Michelle. So I, I want to just pivot off of that and 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 kind of restate what you just said and offer one other idea for yes for two two things that are not on the list explicitly that I think um, are important to inspire somebody to sing a song like that about you. One is uh, all the people I know who have inspired a song like that. The main point of their life was not their life. All the people I know who have inspired a song like that, the main point of their life was not their life. Their life was about other people. And and there's an issue of, of you know, selfish people don't inspire that song. Selfless people inspire that song. So one question is, what is your life about if it's not your life? What's your life about that's not your life? What's your life about that is not about you? What's the selfless quality? Because it's the selfless that inspires the song. The second thing that hasn't been discussed, but it's just so clear and glaring. I mean, oh my God, it's just so, so clear and glaring. Whenever, you know, I'm with a family and, and somebody's talking about their parents or their grandparents. Whenever there's holdback, and you can always in public, if you've been doing this long enough, you can sense holdback. 100% of the time, when there's holdback, it's because my mother and my father did not accept me, did not get me, did not love me for who I am. Did not accept me for who I am. Did, I, I didn't measure up. They were critical of me. I didn't measure up. I didn't conform to their high standards. Um, and whenever, th that, you know what the biggest compliment, when you're dead, the biggest compliment you want your loved ones to say about you? Non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. They love me for me. They love me for me. They love me for who I am. They didn't love me for who they wanted me to be. They didn't impose their standards on me. They, they were generous enough to let me be me. That, that it's just like so crystalline, so crystalline, so clear that when you judge on others and when, you know, you're not measuring up to my standards, that just creates uh, angst and issues. And by the way, it never actually changes the primary conduct of the person that you're judging or that you're saying is not meeting up to your high standards. And when you love people for who they are and celebrate them for who they are, so then that just inspires love. So I, I want to leave you with, with this list, and I want to leave you with those two additional points. If you want to inspire this song, spend the ordinary days that we're all in now. We're in Cheshvan. Come on, Cheshvan. End of Tishrei on Cheshvan. Spend your ordinary days on not you. And love the people in your life for who they are. Colleagues, um, you got a song. Yes, I want to do something different here. So, Wes, thank you so much for this inspiring, <laughs> inspiring class. A little somber. You can go back to the somber once we leave and after this song. Okay. So, as you know me well, I want to bring some humor here into the situation. So, famously, um, George and Ira Gershwin wrote a song called It Ain't Necessarily So. And thank you, Dan, for reminding me that, that I sang this song several times. We did a beautiful concert with Alisa here about Gershwin music. So the, the funny story about that song, you can read this in the books. I'm not making this up. George and Ira were so sick about the Bar Mitzvah tutor uh, that he would ask them to repeat Bar Ho, so they would mock him all the time. 
So they said, let's do a song similar to that. It ain't necessarily so. Anyways, so there is a point. The song goes like this. It ain't necessarily so. The things that you're liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so. And then talks about David and Jonah and Moses. And then, Methuselah lived 900 years. Methuselah lived 900 years. But who calls that living when no girl will give in? To no man that's 900 years. <laughs> shalom, shalom, everybody. Shalom, shalom.